0: excited for every episode we do of our new podcast, Patient No Longer, but this one in particular, I think is going to be intriguing because we've got an individual who has a wealth of knowledge, maybe the most knowledge contained in one person of healthcare, marketing, branding, engaging consumers, no pressure, by the way, but we're really excited at Patient No Longer to invite our next guest on, and that is of BVK, Joel English.
1: Brian, no pressure, as you said, Uh, Brian and Brian, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you for having us, Joel. And to, to back up those claims, I, I do have a little bit of, uh, I've got, I got some bullet points on Joel to explain his background. Um, he says he's worked at BVK for over 30 years. That's over 30 years. That's not an exact amount of years. It feels like Joel has been stewarding brands and shepherding healthcare marketers for as long as we can remember. Uh, he's worked with over 150 clients during that time. Uh, he says, quote unquote, he thrives on chaos. I think that's why he's been in healthcare for so long. And Joel's favorite question is why not? That's what we really like about you. Joel has served as a board member and chair elect uh, for the Alliance uh, for Healthcare Strategy and Marketing. He's been a board member for SHSMD. He's also been the recipient of their prestigious award for individual professional excellence. So see, I'm backed up by industry experts on saying he knows an awful lot, maybe the most on healthcare marketing. Joel has also been a partner to us as BVK has over the years working at NRC Health with our own branding. So there's an interesting reflexive quality. He's worked with us as an organization. And then, of course, he's worked with many of the organizations that we, too, partner with. So we are really, really excited to have you here, Joel. Now, as you know, this topic that we've sort of made our overarching theme of the podcast has been The consumer journey of care that's something brian and i have really thought a lot about we've invited guests to take on different components of that and joel when i think of you i think of how you've worked over the years to build brands in healthcare which isn't exactly the most engaging industry but you've built brands that have specifically sought out to engage the consumer not just improve patient experience scores not just some of those other things that we hear about on efficiencies and operations but specifically to engage and speak out to the healthcare consumer. Can you tell us a little bit to start about that philosophy?
1: Well, um, again, you mentioned that I've been in healthcare for a long time. There's an inherent challenge in healthcare. People, I think, largely driven by physicians and administrations want to talk about themselves. Uh, We talk about the what and the how of what we do. And and historically, we've asked consumers to answer the most important question, why? Why is this important to me? Why should I change my behavior? And so uh, really, BBK's philosophy, and we think sound marketing philosophy for anybody in healthcare, is you have to start with the why. And the why is fundamentally anchored in the aspirations and the fears of the people that you as a provider are caring for. And, and that's frankly why I'm so excited about what you did with your book and, and the work that you're doing now to really focus in on patient experience and the patient journey, because that inherently focuses marketers on the worldview of the people we care for and, and having us change ourselves in order for us to be able to accommodate them and their desired path for care.
0: It's so interesting because in the book, as we talk about it, you know, we, we talk about this journey of care, and you're right, there reaches a point where hospitals and health systems have talked about the what, they've talked about the how. We do a lot of that. We talk about who does it, and I may be pointing fingers at some physicians along the way. So we've really described the process, and yet we've left the consumer to say why. And oftentimes that question has been, why do I need this level of care? Do I really need to go in? Why should I pay so much? I mean, that why can kind of fan out into a lot of really critical questions for the average person. We also know that for a lot of them that becomes overwhelming and it becomes something where they try to avoid healthcare. There's a cognitive dissonance, there's a physical dissonance. I don't want to go in. So Joel, as you sit down and work with brands who are obviously working with you to up their game on engagement, what are some of the first few things that you think about to help them answer that question for the consumer instead of leaving it for the consumer to answer themselves?
1: Well, the most important thing for us in managing any brands, particularly healthcare brands, is finding that intersection point between the greatest aspirations and the greatest fears of the people we care for and our organization's greatest passions and accomplishments. If we find that intersection point Now we have a basis for answering why. And when we do then talk about what's and how's, instead of it seeming self-congratulatory or claims without any context, you now have an important value-based context so that people see themselves in your organization and they want to align themselves with you. Uh, One of the things that really challenged us is we were looking at data um, when uh, we did some national research in the midst of COVID is the number of people when they were re-engaging with the healthcare system that were willing to change the providers that they had a long time relationship with, the change behavior was surprisingly high. And, and what struck us about that, that phenomenon is that when people are challenged in the way that COVID has challenged uh, us, um, they're, they're willing, they're, they're looking for people that will, will, first of all, speak the way they wanna be spoken to, will share the same values and allow them to retain the greatest at a time of chaos?
2: Yeah, that's, uh, well, first of all, with response to COVID data, we, we've we been tracking more than 200 metrics with our market insights study uh, in the largest markets in the country for for several decades now. So we've seen just a handful of events over the course of time that have really sent co- typical consumer metrics around behavior, uh, perception, preference, those utilization, those types of things, um, I've seen peaks and valleys there. Um, uh, maybe the most significant is that of the last 12 months when we had, when COVID-19 was introduced to society, right? And, and so it created so much fear among the general consumer base, just, uh, how do they keep themselves healthy? How, how do I continue to manage my own health conditions that exist today in this environment It's very challenging. The result is as we saw declining volumes, uh, for, for hospitals across the country, declining revenues associated with that furloughs, uh, very, very challenging situations altogether, all but we have this, uh, theory and I think we'll be proven right that, that in 2021, at some point, uh, patients will come back. Right? They're, they're going to come back to health systems, and they're going to come back, as you said, to those health systems that are effective in creating that that situation, creating a, uh, a, 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 a familiar place where they would like to call home, almost like staging a home for a real estate sale, right? Like, make it look like you could live here. And and, and so what are the health systems that are successful at inviting people back uh, to creating this place? safe space, this home-like space for them. What are they going to be doing? How are they going to be communicating to consumers? What what do you think are one or two essentials that they need to address in order to in order to welcome people back into the system?
1: I think instinctively we might have thought that that people wanted COVID to be a bad nightmare that they could just uh, wake up from and then return to the world that existed beforehand and just kind of continue down the path. And and what research is telling us is that's not the case that that we've been in an enforced period of reflection. And I think, in some ways, people have taken advantage of that opportunity to really understand what's important to them, what they want out of themselves, what they want out of society, what they want about organizations they align themselves with. And so I think what the first critical issue here is if people presume that they can return to their pre-COVID brand construct and just start up where they left off, I think they're gonna take a, they're going to have a substantial risk that they could have a brand disconnect. Because the second thing we found in, in our, our research review is that uh, fully 72% of the people want the world to be different. They actually want to emerge from this COVID tunnel acting differently, thinking differently, having different relationships with people. And so the the second key impetus is first of all, do not presume going backwards is an option. And the second key is you need to determine for your own brand using research. And of course the market insights tool is a fabulous way of doing that, is what is the new COVID lens? How are people coming out of COVID? What are they gonna be expecting of themselves and the the partners that they choose to align with, provider partners? What is that gonna be? And, you know, the problem with this is there is no, there is no map. There is no past incidents. As you noted, this is, this is the first time we've encountered anything like this in our lifetime. So we can't look at what people have done in the past and ask, gee, uh, should we be modeling X or Y pre-COVID? They were doing some really, really good things. I think we're going to have to create a whole new model, a whole new map post-COVID.
0: I love how you said that, Joel, that forced period of reflection. And I think that that's true both for healthcare leaders and thinkers and doers, but it's also true for the consumer who has had to deal with healthcare in a way that they've never seen in their lifetime. And I think that's one thing that I'm excited to get into more in this episode is what is the future gonna hold? Because Joel, you've got sage-like properties there and we're gonna tap you for those to the fullest. But one thing that gives us clues is within the Market Insights database, Brian, as you know, we've asked a lot of questions around COVID. One in particular I'll highlight here is that we've had people forced into virtual events. They would have never done it otherwise. They would have never touched telemedicine, but they can't go in physically to their doctor. It's not safe. They came into those situations with low expectations. And they came out of those situations highly satisfied our results show 74 percent of people who had to have they were forced into a telemedicine experience received a high level of satisfaction as a result a lot of them said i had a couple questions uh they made eye contact with me because i'm the screen when it's virtual instead of being in the room and having the doctor stare at the screen and not me and also they filled my script at walgreens and i could drive through you know and pick it up in a few minutes so there was this satisfaction that came out of it we've got to feel that consumers don't want to go back. They've reflected and said, healthcare can be different. We want it to be different. It seems like it's actually gotten a little more consumer-centric because of COVID. But Joel, talk a little bit about that because you feel that as well. Consumers are saying, no, 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 I want these things to be different. You said 72% want change. Certainly that applies to healthcare. And are these healthcare leaders and organizations, are they on board with going back? Um, Or are they on board with doing what the consumer wants? Where do you think they'll land?
1: Well, you picked a really interesting uh, case here, and that is the 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 adoption of virtual care from people that would have been re- pre-COVID. Again, your research, our research shows that uh, that people that were forced to experience virtual care, the adoption curve was was diminished dramatically, and they now see it as part of a access set that they want to be able to decide upon. Do I want a virtual visit? Do I want an in-person visit? Um, If a healthcare organization tries to find a way to to make virtual care a lesser option or or to diminish it in some fashion, they're going to have a brand-busting event. Uh, They're going to be seen as trying to return to a place that we can never go back to, and they're going to be viewed as restricting or reducing control On the part of the patient and that will not be received well that will damage the brand now maybe a healthcare organization has a reason for it the reimbursement isn't quite there the doctors don't like it so there's probably going to be an impetus to try to to step back from virtual care but it would be a major mistake from a brand standpoint
2: yeah we've been watching this very closely we've been tracking telemedicine well before the, the pandemic occurred, right? It was just sort of that forced acceleration that of, of some of the technology. There, there were some homegrown platforms, some other platforms that sort of went from, uh, you know, we, we have partners that said that they maybe had 20 or 50 uh, telemedicine visits a day, and they went up to 2,000, 5,000, 8,000 a day. And, and so it proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that it can work. And for a minute there, there is forgiveness or at least sort of an agreement to reimburse those visits uh, the same right? As, as a physical visit. And then we've seen some debate among large payers uh, since then. So that's going to have to be worked out for that to continue in, in the state that we see it today, in terms of, of telemedicine. The consumer, I can tell you, doesn't care about the complexities of your payment models and your contracts that you have with your payer. They will find something that Um, is a path of least resistance, something that provides high quality care. Uh, and in some of the feedback we saw on the virtual visits, one of the, among promoters of of that type of interaction was actually a perception and maybe a, a real, a reality of more time spent with provider, right? So, uh, think about that for a second. It took a virtual encounter to, to spend more time with the provider. Right. So that, that should illuminate, I should raise a handful of red flags, but from the consumer standpoint, and, and I like to think about it from this lens, my own. If, if there are, if there's a health system brand that lays out for me, essentially a network a platform of ways to access you, uh, be that physical, be that virtual, be that retail clinic or, or, you know, more planned procedure, then, then, then that's going to create a scenario where I'm much more likely to use you and, and, and stay with you. So maybe Joel, tell us about the, the health system brands that you're working with today. Uh, what's the thought around being an integrated delivery network, focused on delivery of care and, and process versus the notion of being more of a platform, a brand platform that has an ecosystem of services and, and, and things that that their that they're consum- consumers can access. So talk, talk to us about what you see there. What's the prevalence of each school of thought?
1: Well, what we're seeing is, is a, a challenge of the paradigm that has existed in most complex integrated delivery systems where people managed uh, episodes of care vertically. And so then if you had to migrate from episode A to B to C across the care continuum, you essentially were handed off between four or five different silos that didn't really, they integrated vertically, but not horizontally. I think to your point, what we're seeing is with the more progressive systems, they're trying to be much better about integrating episodes of care horizontally. So it is essentially one episode of care. Uh, You reduce the chance there's going to be drops between those the handoffs, if you will, between the different uh, uh, silos. And so I think that there's a growing sense that, and if you think about this, going back to the issue of of virtual care in the way that, that people are thinking about entree points, either through the physician office, through a urgent care center, or a freestanding emergency room or emergency room care. They were historically managed in in little vertical silos. And so a, a system would offer access to them, but you had to kind of find your way into one of those four different tracks. Now, more progressive systems are actually looking at all of them in in one continuum they're looking at this as if this is your access point and we allow you to flow to four different ways of being able to access us but we create an experience that is seamless and um, empowers the patient to flow to the level of care that they're interested in i think that's really i think that paradigm shift from uh, silos of care managed kind of sequentially to a horizontal Uh, uh, care across multiple continuums, I think is really the the paradigm now.
2: I I love the concept of flow Uh, as, you know, as you sort of build a mental construct of, I'm thinking of these horizontal bar charts in terms of uh, where we've got, you know, maybe we're going to track somebody linearly or we've got vertical integration in in the care delivery network. The idea of of more of a a mosaic, um, uh, you know, where truly flow can occur. And maybe that flow goes back... Um, to care setting back to home, back to care setting, to care setting, to care setting back to home to some other, you know, and, and, and that flow can and should be, uh, facilitated by the, by the health system brand. I'm curious, Ryan, now you've, you've seen this happen, uh, you've seen this occur well, I would say in, in some cases, and you've seen it, um, the flow not occur, no, no <laughs> sure. right, right. So what do you, what, in your experience, what are you seeing as a barrier for health system leaders as they're trying to create this flow, to, to enable, you know, consumers to, to use and navigate their brand without friction.
0: I think most, most healthcare organizations struggle with flow, and may, maybe except for Joel's clients. Joel's clients have it down, the rest struggle. No, because Joel, the way he talks about it, it's it's I love it because it's, it's very technical in that sense, but that idea of that horizontal integration, I think for a lot of consumers, that's the journey, right? They would never use the words that we use. They would just say, listen, I want this all to feel like one thing. And like you said, Joel, I want it to feel seamless. I don't want to encounter a lot of friction or frustration. We know from Market Insights that the number one emotion I feel is confusion. You know, I'm stuck in a maze trying to figure this out. It doesn't feel like a straight path journey. Um, but it's a great point, Brian. So, I mean, I think we, we've seen so many people struggle with this. We'll often get them coming back to us saying, listen, we know we're engaging consumers really well, let's say, in the patient experience. But yet overall, when we're doing consumer assessments, they're giving us really low marks. What's the deal? Or this doctor's providing excellent care. His bedside manner is phenomenal. He spends more time with his patients than any other doctor on the earth. And yet his office has really low marks and has a low reputation because of it. And we know when we dig deeper, we find out that, listen, they call in and there's no one to talk to, or that person's rude. They sit there and they wait in a windowless room for an hour before they see that amazing doctor. And when they get home, they have seven bills and nine EOBs and no one to figure out how to navigate that for them. So there's so many pieces of this that vertically you might look good in a few spots, but horizontally you really, really struggle with that. And Joel, I think it's so interesting, just one more time on the virtual care, we know consumers say, that's my preferred first step now. Whether it's searching on a website for a physician and seeing star ratings and reviews, or cruising a website and trying to understand where I should go, or a telemedicine experience, which for a consumer is a healthcare experience. They're just doing it from their couch or from their lounge. You know, they're they're not having to come in and enter the maze. But Joel, I'm curious, You're tasked with building brands that horizontally integrate, but also overarchingly have a really strong position in the market. And I know that you've had success in the past building really big brands out of haphazard mergers and acquisitions and all these different silos trying to slap themselves together. What is your advice and and maybe even a little bit of your techniques for trying to, on the branding side, make that all make sense to a consumer who understands very little about healthcare?
1: I think the key again is to start with their worldview and work backwards to you. Um, you know, you talked about a couple of, of really important paradigms that I think uh, are are representing either either challenge or opportunity. That notion of is the healthcare system, meaning your healthcare system, working for me, or do I have to work the system in order to get get care? And so. You described a system that predominantly forces all of us to feel that somehow we have to become our own case manager. We have to somehow find a way to work the system, and people scratch their heads and wonder why. Why is it that way? Why, why you know why can't you work? This make this work for me. And, and Ryan, actually, research that we did with with you going back four or five years ago when, when you were exploring uh, consumer and retail behavior, if you remember, we also looked at it from a subgroup called Early Adopters. And for this group, this was a group that was very comfortable shopping, and they were very comfortable essentially having multiple healthcare brand relationships. But at the end of the day, when we ask them, do you want to be having to go out and pick a provider across multiple scenarios, or would you prefer one provider to do this for you, overwhelmingly early adopters, again, shoppers that are comfortable making decisions said, in healthcare, with its complexity and with what's going on in my life, I really want one healthcare system to manage all of these episodes for me because I don't want to be a case manager and I do not want to have to work the system I want the system to work for me and if you remember we actually did some price point uh, exploration there and we found that people were were willing to pay as much as $100 more per month to gain access to a system that they would commit to that would manage those episodes of care for them rather than forcing them to manage those episodes so i just want to give Brian you really touched on an important point here and that is is how do we as as systems think about making healthcare work for people versus making people have to find a way to work within healthcare. And then to your question, Brian, or uh, uh, Ryan, from a brand standpoint, you have to step back and ask again, what are their key pain points? And what are their key aspirations? You know, what are we solving for here? And how do we attach ourselves to a quality that, w- that they will associate with? So for example, cancer care, one of our clients is a leading national uh, cancer center and we identified that that courage is the human quality that everyone who's confronted with cancer wants to feel in their lives they want to demonstrate it whether they beat the physical battle against cancer they want to have that sense of courage throughout the journey and they want people to walk alongside of them that will encourage them and so if you understand that courage in this case is the why it gave us the platform then to talk about what's and hows, the mechanics of how we go about managing the cancer care journey for them and it put them in a position where people were very, very motivated to want to access not only how we provide care, but why uh, we provide care and how it makes them feel.
0: See, and I love that because you're getting to the emotion of it. You know, we talked about confusion being the downside. I love the upside in the brand you built there being courage. And it's something that speaks to consumers. Now, Brian, we've gone through this a lot where, where people have a fantastic idea, whether or not Joel provided it. Um, you know, we've got people saying, listen, I, I want to go out with this campaign. I feel that we can represent the spirit of this in our brand. And then it doesn't happen. And and you've dealt with that a lot, where it goes from that conceptual side to in practice and all the measurement behind it. What what is your feeling about what pops up and and stops those great ideas from actually becoming reality? Uh,
2: the boardroom. <laughs> 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 that 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 can stop a, an idea, a good one, pretty quick. Sure. No, the in, in all seriousness. Um, Everybody who is an internal stakeholder for the brand, you have to assume has nothing but the best of intentions for the brand, right? So even if you're trying to create a campaign or, or engage a cohort, um, in this, in this case, an oncology cohort, right around this idea of courage and, and build messaging around that, uh, you can still have, you can all agree on that in principle, and but then the execution of it, there could be a hundred different ideas on how you should do that, right? Like put, put the most uh, prestigious, um. Physician that we have, oncology surgeon that we have on every billboard in town, right? Or we could have, um, varying, variant ideas on which which channels, which mode we're using, how much money we're going to spend, all those kinds of things. I would just say that the the business of launching a campaign that that's personal to the organization, uh, Joel, you can help provide guidance on that piece. We would say from from. From my perspective and from nrc health's perspective from our experience is that uh, all that why we've been talking about let's let's go ahead and, and ask the consumer why right does this message resonate with you why uh, or why not um, how can we sort of future proof this investment uh, in in terms of a messaging campaign by way of you know testing launching in a market before you are going to release anything and make sure it has the intended punch and resonance. And, and I think that's a step, it's a really crucial one that is missed by so many organizations where you sort of build a plan internally, all around the table, nod your head, kind of, you know, maybe high five and, and then, then you launch it and then it, it doesn't stick or it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't translate like you want it to. So I mean, what, that's an idea that, that I have, uh, Joel, I'd be curious to see, and you know, in in the depth of your experience, what are ways that, that you could, Help leaders that are that are trying to guide messaging and communication, building a brand and brand promise to their markets. You know, how how can they avoid the pitfall of making spending time and making a huge investment only to sab- see it and have it fall flat?
1: Well, you really touched on the answer, Brian. Um, didn't know you were that smart when you were saying that, but you were completely <laughs> on the mark. Um, and and the reason that I say you have the answer is because by nature, healthcare organizations focus on what and how. I mean, it, it takes a lot to get to be a tertiary leader in a marketplace. It, it, it takes a lot to be able to afford and array new technology. And, and, and boards and doctors and, and leaders are, are proud of that. And then when they get you know, the NRC Health's recognition reward for, for having the greatest reputation in the marketplace, they want to to be able to tout awards. and And it's not that these bits of information are not valuable in the way a consumer makes decisions. It's just it's content in the absence of context. And so oftentimes what we have to do Getting back to your question is, we have to go to boards and senior leaders and say, you know something, at at the root, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about what they want. It's what's important to them. How can we find out that greatest fear, greatest aspiration that is really driving them now? And how do we work backwards then to talk about your greatest accomplishments, your what's in your house? And, and so to your point, how do we do this? Sometimes we have to have that awkward comment of, you know something, I'm glad you're proud about this, but it's not about that, it's not about you. It's about what's important to them. I'll give you an example. One of our clients working really, really hard to be a top 10 healthcare system in the country. And they're well on the journey uh, for national and maybe even international recognition. And so they're proud of it. And it's a great internal narrative that's necessary to, um, to get people inside the organization to take their game to another level. But if you take that narrative and presume it worked inside, let's now translate that outside. If you start talking about yourself in the context of your accomplishments, again, you go back to the the original conundrum we talked about. When we talk about what's and how and make the consumer has to make that connection as to why, you know that you've already taxed them too far. So. My advice is start with the consumer, work backwards towards who you are. Again, greatest fears and aspirations in their world, your greatest passions and accomplishments, and always do it from an outside in perspective.
0: I love what you said about content without context. I think healthcare is like the leading industry of content without context, right? We can think of all the paper and, and everything that we push out to people thinking they'll be able to navigate it. And just like their care, they really struggle to. And I really like what you, what you said, Joel, about putting the consumer first. That's certainly part of our mission of human understanding. You've got to start with that consumer, that N equals one, before you broaden out and build a strategy around it. But let's talk about the back end. Because this is something that you're a seasoned expert on as well. Uh, you, this whole idea of, okay, you've gone out there, maybe we've partnered with BVK, and we're working with NRC Health, and we've done a wonderful campaign that we believe is resonating because we started with consumers. Now we got to prove it. And that can be really difficult to do, especially when it's got that, that label, I was almost going to say mark, <laughs> that label of marketing on it where maybe a physician thinks they're a marketing expert or a CEO thinks, well, it's just marketing. You know that there's those sort of barriers. You've been at that level. Talk through how you've been able to prove that a campaign or a branding idea has actually been successful.
1: Simple question, more complex answer. Um, You begin by having to to take a big world and break it into two pieces. When you're talking to um, human beings, because as healthcare organizations, we can treat anybody, Uh, You have to break them into two realities. There's the asymptomatic reality. Right now, I don't need heart care. Thank God, I don't need heart care or cancer care. And so, it's hard for me as an asymptomatic individual to necessarily jump into communications that you want to share about what's in house because it's irrelevant to me. Now, if you're talking about why, and if you bring forth a quality like courage or determination that that I'm going to gravitate to as a human being, you might be able to get into my consciousness and get me to think about you and create a brand affinity to you. So when it comes time to look at the asymptomatic group and, and uh, then really you use tools like the tools that you bring forth uh, with the Market Insights tool. Are they aware of you? Do they understand you? Uh, do they prefer you? What kind of brand connection do they have with you? Is it distant? Is it personal? Is it, is it forced? or is it voluntary? So most of the measures that you have on the asymptomatic side follow the more traditional research measures. Uh, the challenge with those measures though, is a person when they're asymptomatic can say, I prefer to go to Joel's hospital, but then when I'm diagnosed, then suddenly Ryan's hospital looks much more attractive to me because it's not as reputable or maybe doesn't have the same depth of reputation, but it's closer and more convenient for me. So. The other side of the coin is when people are symptomatic. And this is where the job becomes a little bit easier because as marketers, we, we are always trying to deliver a message to people when it's relevant to them. We're joining them on the journey of selection. Now we can measure if they go to our website, we can measure how long they're there and what they look at. We can measure will they, whether they fill out a form to be able to request an appointment uh, or whether they participate in screening events. And if we actually have an interlock with uh, with our patient information, we can actually carry that all the way through whether we engage somebody and they actually came in and, and received care with us. So the world becomes a lot simpler once we start talking about symptomatic people and joining them on the selection journey, and then thinking through identifying and then measuring how they interact with us, and and how we can create a relationship with them.
2: I I think that's really important to make that distinction of that i I like i like the way you broke that down sort of the asymptomatic and and the symptomatic uh, healthcare consumer when when we do conduct research in the market insight study we one thing that we are hearing overwhelmingly is that the consumers and they're not trying to think about healthcare all the time right they they don't think about being sick they're trying to think about being well living living a healthy life uh, and for, and that is a reality for most people, right? Most of your life is spent out away from a healthcare facility, not receiving care directly. Um, how, how can health systems, what is, what's your advice to health systems that are building a brand and building out new, new revenue pathways, how can they stay solvent if not, you know, very successful in a world where we're still fee for service in, in most parts of the health system. But people want to be healthy, they want to be kept well, and they want to stay out of the health system, right? So, so how can you stay involved and in, in engaged in a consumer's life, keeping them aligned to their goal of not coming to you, while at the same time still continuing to keep revenue flowing in?
1: You know, it's a great question, and, and maybe it's a, a reflection of, of, of the quality of the conversation that we're having, but it loops back to something that we started talking about a while ago, and that is it begins with... The the greatest aspiration and the fear of the people you're reaching and that core human value that captures that. I'll, I'll use the cancer center as an example. Um, at any point in time, thank God, again, maybe 10 or 20% of the populations in the middle of a cancer event. And that means there's a much larger pool of people that would prefer not to think about cancer. So if we engage them by talking about our NCI designation or a particular technology or a smart doctor, that's information that's gonna in the very least seem a bit irrelevant and might actually be intimidating. On the other hand, if we engage them with the core human value of courage, if we actually cause them to think about courage in their own lives, um, how they may feel if they are confronting cancer or somebody that they love is confronting cancer, if we can create a courage community where they can actually step alongside people. They asymptomatic people can choose to step alongside and encourage people that are going through the fight of their life. Now we've created a means by which asymptomatic people can engage with our brand, even though they're not in the selling or the buying process. And you can imagine that if we have that kind of brand connection, that brand context for, with them, when it's time for them to consider a cancer provider, you would have to believe if we're not part of the evoke set, we might actually be at the head of the evoke set in terms of consideration.
2: I, just to build on that very quickly, I, it, the courage concept, I mean, courage is certainly, um, not exclusive to an oncology diagnosis or somebody, uh, going, going through that path on that journey. So I, as an individual, if that's something that resonates with you and you can associate courage with the brand, the individual can associate courage with the brand and, uh, for, for any any number of ailments or any number of things they might be going through in their personal life. So I think you know thinking about those types of things um, in, in a much larger context could be very meaningful as well.
0: We're, we're giving you reinforcement, Joel, on on your branding concept, because I think, the, the, just to take it even one step further, I think a lot of people need courage to seek out their doctor. I think a lot of people need courage to feel that they can take care of their own health and wellness outside of traditional healthcare delivery. It, it seems like you've just been able to go deeper Into the consumer psyche here and something that resonates with them that makes them want to seek out healthcare and have courage and confidence when they do it, instead of just, hey, look at us. We've won all these awards. We do all these great things. Come find us, which we know isn't as effective. Would you agree with that, Joel?
1: I do. And in fact, some of the values that we're using to position our clients now include courage, include determination, include the desire to make your world a better place, impact. And so to your point, these are bigger ideas that don't require somebody to be sick in the moment, to be engaged with our, our brand, uh, be it through paid advertising or events, could even be the foundation or, or other kinds of activities, that, that we can build a brand relationship with them based upon something that's important to them that they see in us upstream of them needing us. And then, of course, we have to deliver on on that expectation once they are symptomatic in terms of how we engage them in the journey. So, for example, if you encourage people, they would expect you coming in from a cancer standpoint to make the experience work and not be stressful, because it's hard to be courageous when you're fighting a battle with the people that are supposed to be encouraging you. So some of those values, brand values, really create a. Important context to how the patient journey needs to be managed um, within a particular healthcare system. And so.
0: So and that's so interesting to me because you're able to get to the consumer within the organization and not get caught up in all the other things the organization wants to do. But not everyone has that confidence, that ability to get in and to convince organizations that they really need to focus in on the consumer, not all the things that they do. And Brian, we've seen this where someone is rocking and rolling on a campaign and it's so hard to slow those wheels down and to pause and say, now we feel really good about this. But, but is the consumer on board? And we had an example in the book, Patient No Longer, that you referenced earlier where it was a well-known cancer center on the West Coast doing a facility redesign, feeling really good internally about doing that redesign and they were able to pause and say, now hold on a second. Is the consumer on board? Is this redesigned with them in mind? Because they're the ones that are going to experience this. And a lot of times for the first time in a situation like cancer. And so they did something interesting. When people were looking down in a waiting room, they felt alone. They found this out through research by asking questions that aren't on caps. And people felt alone. So they put a message on the floor that said, you are not alone. simple powerful, and it speaks directly to the consumer. It's not just about our prestige, our awards, all the amazing things we do. Those are wonderful. But sometimes you just have to go to the heart of the consumer. So what's been your experience, Joel, in being able to cut through some of those things and get an organization that feels really good about themselves to stop and focus in on that outsider known as the healthcare consumer? Well,
1: I think the good news is uh, because this happens often, when we go into an organization that is highly accomplished, has lots of what's and how's, and, and when their, their um, assignment to us is BVK, come in and find a more creative, more attractive way to be able to talk about our what's and how's, when we go through the, the human value discovery process with them, where we look at the soul of the organization Uh, What really drives them? Again, we talk about passion and accomplishments. Accomplishments are hard facts. Passion's a lot more human. What we found is is, is when we bring senior leadership and and in some instances, board members along in that journey, they often discover the why as part of that journey. And it's like a light bulb moment when they they realize. So for example, the, the cancer organization, again, one of the top cancer centers in the country with a lot of things to brag about when we took a mirror and showed them the courage that we saw in what they were doing in terms of their research, in terms of the different ways that they were uh, uh, leading in terms of care, uh, when we showed them that, that mirror, they saw courage in themselves, they saw courage in the people they cared for. It was a really easy transition for them because we now allowed them to live the why. And it was transformational. It was a culture changing experience. I'll give you another example. Another client, um, the market leader, tended to be very rational in orientation, um, actually had a unique trust relationship within the community. And because there was a lot of what and how communications are are theming around it, the core value is trust. The theme was never underestimate the power of trust. And what happened is senior leadership soon adopted that phrase and used it as a question that they would ask after every meeting operationally, and that is, what, what we just talked about, will it fundamentally build trust or erode trust in our community with the people that this is going to affect? And so when you focus on core human values not only do you create context for content but you allow in many instances a point of focus for culture that really allows people step beyond that kind of narrow focus of of what i'm proud of and what i think is important.
2: Yeah, thinking about trust it it makes it makes me remem- remember a conversation we had with a guest a, a few episodes ago and we're speaking about fear in the context of of the coronavirus. But when he had offered that trust was the antidote to fear then it was it made a lot of sense and i think that that fear exists in all all kinds of spaces right i mean it accessing healthcare, to your point earlier, Ryan, or, or, certainly going through managing a diagnosis, managing treatment, fears associated there, fear of, you know, fear of the bill. We talk about that all the time too, but, but building, building trust, being the antidote to that fear. And that's, that's an interesting thing. And actually I want, I want to lift up above healthcare for a second. Healthcare is this big, this big thing, but I want to lift up above it for a second, because I, I just read a report last week around, um, consumer sentiment on brands, again, globally, um brand's involvement in societal issues and how and when and how deep they should be involved or have a position or make a stance and 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 this last year uh, clearly um it's evident that so many uh folks on the us so so many americans are leaning in to um, to correct and address, uh, societal injustices, societal wrongs, things like that, uh, we know there's a lot of work that we have to do as a country there. Um, but there is pretty strong feeling among consumers, at least according to, to this third party study that, that brands should sort of stay in their swim lane, at, at, in terms of, you know, taking a partisan side or anything like that. And, and, and when looking at how that study was broken out, that was consistent regardless of which party affiliation the respondent had, you know, was with, so uh, now zoom back into healthcare here, right? So health systems are charged with they want to take care of communities. Uh, when something is wrong in the community, as many times uh, you look to the largest institution, the largest employer, uh, those that keep you healthy. It's the health systems, right? So from from. Your perspective as an expert in health system branding, what, what position should health systems take with regard to a stance uh, on societal issues? Um, how prevalent should it be in messaging and, and where do you, where, and how do you strike a balance?
1: One of the trends we were tracking before COVID hit was, uh, two things. Number one, the world was shrinking for most people. Um, maybe because of this was again, pre COVID, but the political environment, uh, worldwide, uh, issues, people were actually shrinking down into themselves and, and their local community. They were not identifying with large organizations. They were really kind of shrinking their world down a bit. Um, and I think COVID forced that even further, but what, what's interesting is in light of that, the fact that people are looking at a really unfriendly world and wondering how, how to negotiate this world moving forward is a, a, a vast majority of people actually, if they don't agree that the government is likely going to create, uh, solve societal problems, they want businesses to stand for something, businesses to step forward and try to do something good. In fact, they want to partner with businesses to create change because in some ways they, they don't trust the institutions that they have trusted up until now. So whereas your study might say, I don't want Uh, people to get partisan and start aligning behind a political viewpoint or something. Uh, Well, our data tells us they very much want organizations to stand up and say, healthcare inequity. Everyone should have an opportunity to be able to get healthcare. It's not appropriate for any group of people based upon age or income or ethnicity not to have access to the same kind of healthcare. They want organizations, health systems to be standing up. Um, It was interesting to see on a much more micro scale when we created the uh, courage community for that cancer center, the amount of engagement because people wanted to walk alongside and encourage people that were going through cancer. This gave them a chance to take on life and death and and, and walk alongside of people. I think you're going to see post-COVID people are going to be coming out of this tunnel and, and, and asking the question, what brands are going to help me get closer to meaningful change in this world? And there was one uh, study uh, fact that we saw as we were looking at it in the last couple of weeks Uh, 62% of the people said it's uh, post-COVID, it's more important for me to think about the good of others than thinking exclusively about my own good. So this notion of empathy uh, is really, I think, one of the the driving trends that's going to be defining this post-COVID lens that we talk about as to what people are going to be expecting from brands.
0: Well, and, and to go back into the world of healthcare where we live and breathe, and, and it's always good to bust out of that. But in healthcare, we know that consumers, we, we've asked all kinds of questions around improving communities and who's responsible for it. And it, it feeds right into what you said, Joel, but we know over half of consumers believe the hospital and health system in their local community is responsible for the health of the community. Outside personal responsibility, which doesn't always hold up, we know that they look to a hospital or health system to be responsible for the health of the community. So a lot of consumers are a assigning that responsibility to the local hospital because they fulfill such an important role. And in thinking about that Joel, you know, earlier you used an interesting phrase. You said if hospitals don't change and react to this opportunity to be different outside of COVID because of COVID, it could be a brand busting uh, possibility. And and I'd just be curious to know What's the positive side of it? If we come out of this and we embrace that responsibility and it's more of a, a brand building than a brand busting, what does that look like? And what are a couple of points of advice you give to people who who want to have that better timeline coming out of this?
1: Well, one of the things that every healthcare organization has wanted to do, and it's hard to do, is we want to have relationships with our patients, not just be selected episodically. And and. It, you go back to the question of what can we accomplish coming out of COVID if we're viewed as a force for good to take on issues in the community that that others are not going to be trusted to take on or I don't think they're gonna do it as effectively. Local not-for-profit healthcare systems are gonna be viewed as far more credible, especially coming out of COVID since since the reputation of doctors, hospitals, nurses, pharmacists has been elevated post-COVID. There's gonna be a great opportunity for us to create a relationship with people rather than just trying to to stay on their radar screen in between episodes of care. And I think that's not only gonna help there to be more loyalty, uh, but also, I think it's gonna help uh, not-for-profit health system foundations to be able to engage in a new way. Uh, and I think that's really important because again, health systems have been decimated financially coming out of the COVID situation.
2: It seems like an incredible opportunity for, for the health system that is outside in that that is listening, that is oriented in the right way to respond appropriately. Uh, that opportunity won't be missed by, I would say alternatives or, or non-traditional healthcare providers. Maybe, uh, talk to us about what you see coming, um, by way of the entrance of Walmart, right with their health centers, I think their plans are to have a couple hundred built in the next next few years, and sure. they've got maybe more than a dozen open today. Uh, they have a they have a well established brand. Uh, consumers know what to expect when it comes from receiving a, a service or, or buying a product from Walmart. How how will and should health systems respond or maybe reinforce their own brand position? um when they're not just competing against deferment and they're not competing you know total apathy they're not competing against the the 150 year old hospital across the street but they're competing against this big retail giant somebody like a walmart
1: well this actually ties back to that that conundrum we talked about the operational conundrum of orchestrating care in silos versus orchestrating it across episodes of care uh, large healthcare organizations are complex, and they've historically been managed in silos. And so it's, it is really difficult for, um, for healthcare systems to innovate in terms of, of patient experience. The reason why Walmart is, is stepping into healthcare isn't because the Walmart brand has any real um, equity or credibility when it comes to healthcare, it's that they have identified a pain point, a management issue that most health systems don't deal with, and they've got functional credibility to be able to take that on, be it a cost issue or an access issue. you know, They essentially are able to come in and sidestep the complexity of managing across multiple episodes of care because they're only essentially picking one episode of care and really, really putting the control back with the patient. And, and I, I wanna talk about the control uh, word because, as we have done our studies and have observed yours and others, uh, when people go from, from aspiration to insecurity, which is what caused uh, COVID caused, what ended up happening then is people felt out of control. And so the issue of control over my patient journey is, a, is heightened now from where you had identified it in the writing of your book. So anything that we do from an operational standpoint or from a communication standpoint that indicates post-COVID that we're going to force you back into our path of care versus being the empowering organization that allows you to find your preferred path of care will be a brand-busting message. We have to find a way for them to view us as enabling and empowering them because their level of Uh, discomfort with lack of control is going to be one of those driving things that is going to be part of the lens they use
0: and it's going to be a wild ride to see healthcare come out of this. I mean, you think about getting the vaccine distributed to everyone who's going to take it and then there's going to be this moment where it's truly a moment of truth where we decide where is healthcare going to go. And I know Joel through the work that you're doing, you're you're preparing brands ahead of time. I think one of our biggest challenges Brian is is that we talk to people who don't necessarily do a lot of consumer research. They look at their hcaps, they're they're trying to do their best. They have a dashboard. They don't have a lot of time to dig into data. And they'll often tell us, we feel really good about our brand. And we'll ask them naturally in the line of work we're in to back that up. And a lot of what you get is we're very well known. Awareness, awareness, awareness. We're winning the awareness game two to one over our competition. Now we know at NRC Health, Uh, through working with folks like Joel English at BVK that awareness is only your ticket to the game. Uh, Years ago, we developed the brand arc in coordination with Joel, where we started with awareness and moved all the way through 15 different metrics to advocacy. We've since incorporated that into our new loyalty index, which will actually measure all that way back around to loyalty and are people going to come back to you? So this is outside of even just one journey of care. But we still get individuals who say, you know what? we've got a lot of awareness. I feel pretty good about that. So Joel, what's your advice maybe to us on how to break through that and get people to understand that there's layers to branding and that their strategy can't just be built on who knows them?
1: Well, people can be aware of you and not like you. Or they can be aware of you and find you to be irrelevant. Or they can be aware of you and and again, have have, uh, uh, you're big, you're large, you're impersonal. So awareness, again, you, you can't you can't persuade somebody to access you if they don't even know you exist. I mean, that is a much, a much a tougher hill to climb. But awareness alone is is, as you said, it's it's a It's a license to hunt, but it is not a guarantee that you're going to be have a successful hunt. And so in this case, I think the key is moving through that sequence from awareness to understanding to valuation to usage to loyalty. In this case, I think the key is, is we need to take a fresh view of what understanding they want to have of us and need to have of us post-COVID in order for our brand to still be relevant. And I think, again, we're, we're in the process of, of, of uh, with you looking at research on the subject, but I think the issue of control and empowerment are gonna be key drivers. And this notion of are you viewed as a changing, accommodating, flexible organization that is moving into a new reality, or are you going to return to the reality that you wanna create, whether I like it or not? I, I think that's, and if you think about paradigms to look at, I think those are critical paradigms.
2: Yeah, and in that funnel that you just laid out, uh, understanding is certainly, a fo- it's a foundational concept, it's a foundational word for, for us at, at, at NRC Health. Uh, our partners would believe the same, and I think it, the understanding is not it's not singularly how can we help the consumer understand us better and how we can be relevant in your life but, but certainly how can we better understand the consumer uh, and and uh, you've you've mentioned several times Joel you know about fears and aspirations and, and and i think that is in fact where you you create that intersection you spoke about at the beginning of of our talk in in trying to align the 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 consumer aspirations and fears to to what the what the health system can bring to bear by way of, you know, engaging with them in their life. And so, um, I think health systems have, have anchored around understanding in their own way and, and Ryan, I, I know that you've, you've been in many boardrooms with, with some of the larger health systems around the country, trying to anchor down on this idea of understanding, you know, how, how, how did, how did they define it how, how, how are they looking at understanding? And, and I know it's a big global uh, idea, hard to wrestle down, but, but we we do have some partners doing some very interesting things.
0: We do and you know through the governance institute we have the opportunity to to be in front of a lot of boards and to gather that information and and Joel knows this too working at a high level you you have people that are incredibly smart and their heart is in the right place but yet and still when you talk from a consumer point of view at the board level at the C suite level you still get a lot of anecdotes you get a lot of people saying uh, we feel that people like us for these reasons or people use us for these reasons or you know we know at this level and it's always a challenge, but I, I think what has gotten easier over the years, and, and you've experienced it too, Brian, is that people are more open to this idea that we need to do research on the consumer. We have to go to the source. We have to ask them, even if it's just to reinforce what we believe is true. It used to be, and, and Joel goes back far enough to remember, originally our consumer product was a luxury for you know a handful of hospitals across the country folks like mayo and Cedar sinai and cleveland clinic who had well-known national brands but you could count them on two hands and and they thought it was interesting to know what consumers think now we've got so many different partners over 300 different hospitals and health systems that are using every month this tool to be able to understand what consumers think to check them and to say am i right I feel really good about where our brand's going, but but am I right? And sometimes that answer is you're not right, and thank goodness you got that answer now. And so I think that that's so powerful. And going back to you, Joel, you know, you've had situations. let's let's take the rebrand. and that happens a lot in healthcare where you know what, we're going to refresh our brand, maybe we had a merger, we're coming up with a new name, and you've been an expert on that for decades. They go out and they have that rebrand. And maybe now it's been months or years since they've done it. And they think, well, we rebranded. Everyone should know who we are. How have you dealt with that from your line of work in trying to get people to continue to revisit, reinforce, just check themselves on if the brand is actually successful still?
1: Well, I think that the key, again, goes back to the notion of, are we looking at the understanding that we want people to have? Or are we actually meeting what they want to understand? Are we, are we talking to them about what's important to them? Or are we talking to them about what we want to be important to them? And again, going back to the boards, this is where oftentimes when board members who are often your biggest donors have just spent a lot of money to bring in a new piece of equipment. And the question is, does everybody understand that we have this latest equipment? They do, great. So we've accomplished this, this is our brand is strong. They're missing the, the, the more fundamental question and that is, is new equipment a driving factor in how people value our brand in this competitive set in this moment in time? And so that, the notion of understanding what understanding needs to be, I think, is always a challenge because of that inside-out versus outside in construct. So going to the question about, about rebranding, whenever somebody brings us in and says, it's time for us to rebrand, the first question is, what problem are we solving for? Or what opportunity are we trying to take advantage of here? Because oftentimes people rebrand either because they just think it would be a nice way to get a new bit of energy in the marketplace. And we've actually historically found, uh, we, we find we are more often than not suggesting that their issue isn't to rebrand, their issue is to refresh their the the their brand value proposition and so i think the key again is what's the mission and is the mission being driven by the people we care for or is the mission being driven by some sort of conclusion that we've drawn that may or may not actually have anything to do with how people view us
0: I just think that's so refreshing. I think sometimes we talk to healthcare marketers or leaders or or whoever that are part of a a rebrand. And Brian, we get that call where they're like, we're not sure if we're on the right track. Can you guys help us? And we will ask the same thing. We will say, well, what are you trying to accomplish? And sometimes you hear crickets because they've been so wrapped up in this situation, it's been really difficult for them. We know about the plight of the healthcare marketer and the healthcare strategist. It's not always the easiest industry to operate. But knowing that we have the Joel English here, with the wealth of experience that you have, I have one more question for you as we close. Someone else who's not Joel English and has not worked in healthcare is starting right now in this industry and they've got all the right ideas they understand branding they are connected to the consumer they got fresh eyes what is your one piece through all you've been through your one piece of advice to them and this is for our listeners and viewers whether you're starting out or not but what's your one piece that you'd give them to help them along their own journey in this industry
1: so i would say that chaos presents opportunity i mean coming out of covid it is a chaotic environment um, and as I mentioned, when we first started talking to assume that people want to return to the way it was before is a major, major mistake. Uh, what that means then is everyone has to find a way to answer the question, what does, what does the brand landscape look like post COVID and how do we take advantage of this chaos to create new opportunity? So there's never been a more exciting time for people to step into healthcare. Brian, inherent in your question a couple of moments ago, about you know what do we see of the entrance of the uh, WalMarts of the world or some of the for profits of the world? You know what do we see? What we see there is people that look at chaos and see opportunity. They look at underperformance and see an ability for there to be focus, um, more patient centricity, which allows folks that are frustrated that they have to be their own case managers to realize that somebody will come in and make it easy for them. So. Great opportunity for people to come in, and the, the, the simplest way for them to be successful is start with the patient, their aspirations, their fears, their context, and work backwards towards who we are and what we need to represent and what we need to offer, and you will have success in the marketplace.
0: That's, that's phenomenal. and I, I hope everyone can internalize that, Joel. And we, we teased you a little bit about all that experience, but one of the things we really appreciate about you is you have the energy of someone who is just tackling this thing for the first time, and uh, you, you've displayed a lot of that tenacity today in, in some of your ideas for how healthcare can improve. So we There's hope really people can a dig number in that. of
2: thinly veiled jokes about Joel's age.
0: <laughs> there was a few. I kept it to a minimum. So that's, I think, why he's
1: doing that. But, And it's a privilege to partner with NRC Health because, again, you are a vehicle by which healthcare organizations can learn so much more about, about the world that they exist in. Again, aspirations and understanding. And so you're a force for good. And so we always consider it a privilege when we can walk alongside of you um, and and try to take advantage of the opportunities presented by this chaos. So thank you.
0: Well, we've always appreciated your partnership and it's continuing to go strong. And uh, we will, our gift to you on your birthday, Joel, will be, we will not sing you happy birthday. I think that's a gift to both you and our viewers and listeners, but we do wish you a happy birthday. And we thank you so much for sharing just a small modicum of your amazing knowledge. Uh, We'll hope to have you back and continue partnering with you. And thanks for joining us today.
1: Take care.